Health is Wealth with Dr. Mike on 105.9 The Region. You're listening to 105.9 The Region, and this is Health is Wealth with Dr. Mike Carozza. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez. Good morning, Dr. Mike. Summer long weekend, but different from previous years. Yeah, you got it, Tina. I mean, it's um, it's a little different now, but I'm happy that the summer, what a nice summer we're having. Uh, the weather is warm. Uh, we can't, you know, as Canadians, of course, and Ontarians, we, you know, we love being outside because uh, we're inside for pretty much the most of six months. So it's nice for us to get outside and, and be able to break free and, and sort of have those family bar- gatherings and those barbecues. So it, it's, it's been really nice and a nice treat. Absolutely. Here we are at the beginning of August. Normally at this time of year, the Caravana Parade is taking over the downtown streets. The Indy would have happened back in July. We would be looking forward to the CNE. None of those things are happening this year. Can I ask you to take out your crystal ball and look ahead to the fall? What do you think it's going to be like? Do you anticipate a second wave? And how bad do you think it's going to be? Well, the unfortunate aspect is this. The cold and flu season already brings, it, it, you know, we don't want to, you know, sp- spread fear amongst people. Um, that's not what we want to do with this show, of course, but we want to create awareness. This is what we want to do. So, so as long as everybody does what they need to do, including wearing a mask, which now is mandatory, thank goodness, and everybody washes their hands um, and uh, takes precautions, uh, with 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 you know sneezing, uh, we're we're gonna have a f- we're gonna be fine. Um, so yes, I mean there's talk about second waves. I mean you look at the U.S. It's just simple, but you know they weren't as careful as we are. And I and I do applaud the government and what and, and the steps that they have taken to contain this and keep it as as best as possible. But the fact is that cold and flu season, these are times in which bugs start spreading, people start coughing. So when cold and flu season comes and you're going to have people with fevers, you're not going to know, is it a flu? Is it COVID? Do you just have the sniffles? So it's going to be where I think, I think it's timely how the masks get instilled now, um, but it also is going to make a, a very good point as to what should happen. And then the biggest thing is, I mean, let's look at where all these illnesses start, right? Um, and when you start hitting October, when the cold weather comes, the, the, the lack of being outside and the sunshine and whatnot, and the vitamin D levels start declining, this is when we start seeing populations starting to get sort of elevated in terms of uh, the flu season, if you will, the cold and flu season. And this is influenza we're speaking about. So this is why, you know, the, the second wave, I believe, will, will come out. But so far, the, the government and, and everybody's been really doing quite well to contain this but if you look at the other places where this is really going uh, pretty bad uh, places like Florida you know they really didn't have any phases Um, they basically just went you know um, they were really taking uh, proper precautions uh, as as the Ontarians are doing now so I think that um, so as long as everybody does what they need to do, and when I say that, I mean, you know, let's let's support our immune system, let's eat healthy, let's wash our hands, uh, let's wear our masks where necessary in public places, and then just really just, you know, if your kids are sick, you know, and this is going to be a big topic in September when it comes out, is that, you know, what's going to happen in the schools? I mean, you know, this has been a huge topic since the beginning, you know, and I have little kids, and they've been going to school, 
And, you know, we, we always said, you know, why would a mom or a dad bring a kid that's sick at school? Well, you know, maybe they thought the child was better or maybe they didn't think the illness was that abrupt. And then lo and behold, the child has a fever and in, and in school and coughing and sneezing and spreading it to the other individuals. And so I think if we, if we do our due diligence and, and, and do right to the children, then, um, you know, we can even keep schools uh, healthy and safe as well. And, you, you know, you mentioned that you've got young children. How are you getting them used to wearing their masks all the time and connecting with, you know, maybe their, their cousins or their friends? How are you explaining this situation to them? Well, for them, I mean, you know, we had, uh, you know, it's been, it's been nice because uh, over the last couple of weekends, we've been spending some time with their cousins um, who are of similar age, who they missed immensely. And, you know, Facebook and, and uh, sorry, pardon me, uh, FaceTime and, and um, you know, web chats and whatnot can only uh, do so much. It's that personal connection, you know, I, and I looked at them sitting on the couch um, you know, outside together having an ice cream, and I said, wow, this is really what it's all about. And they just, they were just talking and just enjoying one's company, and, and it's, that, it's that human interaction that I think every single one of us are, are really going to need, and, and, you know, uh, and, and whether, it's your, it, whether it's your mom that you're really close with, or whether it's your brother or your sister or your loved one, it's that human interaction, that support system, that uh, I think is going to be important to reestablish, rekindle, and, and try to bring back, uh, you know, because most of us have been distant from our distant families. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was, I was in practice last week, and, and I heard bad news from, like, three patients who have either lost their, their parents during this terrible time. You know, I had one patient that lost her, that lost her mother, who was her best friend, and she's like, you know, I couldn't go see her as often as I wanted to, but, you know, due to COVID, you know, she had to keep her distance, and then look what happened. And then, you know, and then you have some other sad cases where, you know, um, similar instances where, you know, uh, you have to bury loved ones during this time, which probably are, are not even related to COVID, but during a difficult time, you weren't able to spend the time with the patient. So my... My my main focus on, on this particular segment is to just talk about, listen, rekindle, get back to those relationships, whether you're dating somebody, whether you're in a relationship. You know, the good news is that if you're married and you're living with somebody, I mean, you can definitely foster that relationship. Hopefully most people have done so, but it's the distant ones. It's your parents, your sisters, your brothers, the people you're not living with that you need to sort of foster and rekindle because I think though it's those relationships that are actually going to keep us really um, sane and current and, and, and just those, that's what probably makes us and, and makes us human and have that human interaction because it's really important. And so even with the kids and getting together with family, I think it's really important that they do so. Absolutely. It is that human interaction that does sustain us. And, and that is likely one of the few silver linings in all of this since March is that we have been forced to reset and that may not be such a bad thing. Maybe we needed to slow things down a bit. Maybe we needed to reconnect with family and friends and really work on those relationships that are so important to us that we often take for granted. So perhaps that was one of the few silver linings in all of this, if there can be one. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, and I think, um, you know, who doesn't remember, you know, going to Niagara on the lake, and let's say, for example, last year during this uh, summer um, or long weekend spending time um, maybe on, uh, on a farm or, or a vineyard with fr- friends and family or, or maybe taking that extra getaway to Europe where you normally would have gone. Uh, I think, you know, this is where, you know, this normally around the summertime there's not a lot of traffic around, so you know when there's a lot of traffic, really people aren't going anywhere and leaving the country, but they're going up north. And, and so you really admire that time that you spend with that loved one, that individual, those people, because, you know, there's been a, there's been a really uh, long duration where you weren't able to go out for that dinner or go out for that function or, or see that individual during those circumstances. And so it does bring you to appreciate what uh, what you did do, and and it makes you appreciate what you've done, sort of in life, and and think back of the of the beautiful memories that you made. I know myself; I've been looking at pictures and 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 pictures of my family because last summer we were in Florida, and um, it was just nice to to look at that. We were there for July Fourth weekend, so it was nice to like look at the pictures of the fireworks. But I mean, when's that going to come back? You know, we don't know, but. We did do it. It's nice to look at it and think about it. Um, but again, uh, it's that human interaction that I think that we all have been longing that it's nice to get to. Absolutely. Let's enjoy this month of August because we don't know what September is going to bring. When we come back, we learn about an infection that kills millions every year. This is Health is Wealth on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Miranda Malasani. Health is Wealth with Dr. Mike is brought to you by Nature's Emporium, your neighborhood health food store offering everything natural and organic. Make it your one-stop destination for freshly prepared meals, clean beauty products, nutraceuticals, and nutrient-dense options in every aisle. You're listening to 105.9 The Region, and welcome back to Health is Wealth. Sepsis kills 20% of all people on the planet. That's 11 million deaths every year. Sepsis seems to be triggered especially by COVID. Dr. Mike? Yeah, that's right, Tina. To discuss this further, we have Dr. Bob Hancock. He's the co-founder of Sepset Biosciences and director of the Center for Microbial Disease and Immunity Research. Dr. Hancock, welcome to Health is Wealth. Thank you very much. Can you just tell us a little bit more, for those who don't know, you know, what is sepsis? Okay, um, sepsis is a really um, complex and confusing syndrome. Um, It basically is technically defined as um, the body's dysfunctional response to infection. In other words, the body responds, but it doesn't actually cure the infection. Instead, what it does is it causes... um, profound symptoms Um, and eventually these end up with uh, life-threatening organ failure Um, and it's pretty deadly. Um, uh, um, Tina mentioned that there were 11 million people died from sepsis in 2017 and there were 49.2 million cases so that's a a death rate of about 22% so it's extremely serious. And sepsis is not directly connected to COVID-19. You could develop a sepsis when you're in the hospital for another condition, isn't that correct? That's correct. In fact, uh, although, um, it's now thought to some extent that uh, most people with sepsis actually enter hospital um, in a sep- it, with sepsis. Um, unfortunately, um, it's not recognized really well at this stage, at its very early stages. 
Um, but uh, yeah, you can you can literally any type of infection, um, and also it's thought some kinds of uh, trauma, deep wounds, and such like can also cause uh, um, sepsis. And can you tell us about your clinical study investigating which patients with COVID-19 are higher risk of developing this life-threatening sepsis? Uh, yes, I, I got to go back to just the general sepsis population. So we've been doing a study for the last uh, six years now. Um, it's a, um, an international study when, um, that's set up in uh, Australia, the Netherlands, um, Colombia, um, Canada, um, and uh, we're also recruiting from several other countries. Um, and what uh, what this is based on is uh, we identified a what's called gene expression signature, a, a set of proteins that are expressed in cells um, that correlate with the onset of sepsis. And we were able to identify um, this particular signature of sepsis um, in patients who just entered the emergency ward, which is the time I mentioned um, when people really have trouble identifying um, whether patients has gone into sepsis or not. So this signature predicts the onset of sepsis, severe sepsis, and uh, organ failure. So that's um, uh, basically the background, if you like. So we're developing this signature as a diagnostic tool for identifying sepsis. And what it helps the physician to do is make early um, decisions about who is the most likely to be um, harshly affected, and especially in some countries uh, where um, intensive care unit or ICU um, uh, uh, are starting to become really overwhelmed, um, it's good to know who are the most likely to be sick so that you can um, triage patients into the ICU or into the general hospital population. Um, and uh, I guess secondly, more important, just as importantly, um, it also identifies the individuals who are not going to go on to sepsis and that's good because you can then you don't have to use things like the most potent antibiotics, which are at risk because of antibiotic resistance. Hmm. So um, in early February, just after we found out how common sepsis was, which happened in January, in fact, um, we also uh, uh, found out from a Chinese physician in Wuhan that, um, sepsis, that sepsis is a feature of patients going into um, late-stage serious COVID infections and in fact was the cause of death um, in those individuals. And since then there have been a huge number of reports that have really indicated that sepsis is the major cause of death in patients who acquire COVID. So obviously sepsis is a deadly infection. Can it be detected early? Can patients actually survive it? Yes, yeah, so um, so, the, so, the de- so the deal is that uh, it's been reported by actually Winnipeg physician that for every hour you delay appropriate diagnosis and start to apply the right antibiotics for these patients, there's a 7.6% increased risk of death. So um, very early diagnosis is really the key to uh, managing sepsis. And by establishing really good protocols for treating septic patients, um, hospitals have been able to reduce the death rate to from around uh, 50% in developing countries down to um, 
uh, 35% or so in hospitals that don't have strong sepsis protocols in uh, Canada and the US, down to about 20% um, in the overall population if they manage sepsis properly. So yeah, you can really impact on whether a person will live or die based on how profound your diagnosis is. And can you tell us about the blood test uh, subset Biosciences is, is developing? Yes, yeah, so, the, so uh, what we're doing is we're determining, um, so your body has about 20,000 genes that um, are expressed in, um, in every cell in your body, but they're expressed at different amounts, and the amount of expression depends on what's going on in your body. So when you have sepsis, um, remember that the definition in sepsis is a dysfunctional response to infection. So there's a strong signature of this dysfunctional response. And that's what my lab originally identified, and that's the basis for sepsis, that strong signature. So the way you detect this signature is using a technique called a polymerase chain reaction, or PCR, and it just um, really literally tells you uh, how well that gene is expressed um, in the body, um, in the appropriate cells. And where we detect these genes that make up together the signature for sepsis um, is in blood cells. So the, um, the, the basic idea of the sepsis test is to take blood, um, which contains within it um, the, the, all of the gene expression and genes, etc., um, and then to basically simply apply this amplification procedure called polymerase chain reaction, and then the extent to which you amplify genes um, to, determines how well those genes are expressed. And so you're looking for an altered expression of a bunch of genes that uh, in in total basically indicate that there was this dysfunctional response to infection. And for our listeners out there, I think maybe we probably, um, I want to make it very clear that this kind of testing is ideal. Would you, not, uh, would you not agree, Dr. Hancock, that once you start looking at the genetic and the PCR testing that you can actually um, really start looking at um, clear, um, you know, clear, um, disease points and, and whatnot to really identify the problem areas? Yeah, so PCR has really two things that make it really exciting. Firstly, it's very precise, so it gives you a really great readout of uh, how much a particular gene is expressed, and that's what we're trying to do in this test. But the second thing is it's quick, and I already mentioned that it, the important thing in sepsis is to get a diagnosis really rapidly. So if I want to determine whether a person has an infection, it's going to take some time to do that determination. So bacterial cultures, for example, take 24 to 36 hours. And, but if I'm just looking for the way the body responds to infection, I can determine this in about an hour and a half. Um, and that um, really means wow. that we can get on to managing the disease really quickly. Wow, that's amazing. That is amazing. That's great information, Dr. Hancock. How can our listeners learn more? Um, so the, if they want to learn more about sepsis generally, there's a great website called the Surviving Sepsis Campaign. So if you just type in Surviving Sepsis, 
um, they'll learn about um, what the uh, treatments are, what sepsis actually is, and see a whole bunch of stories of people who survived sepsis um, and uh, what the experience was like. So it's a really great uh, resource. That's great information. Thank you so much, Dr. Hancock. And Dr. Mike, just before we wrap up the show, if our listeners want to connect with you or want more information about Apple Med, where can they find you? Um, they can reach us at Apple Med Clinic on Instagram, or they can reach us online at applemed.ca. They can call our office, 905-417-4000, or they can send us a message, or they can watch us on our YouTube channel and see our previous episodes. That's terrific. And for previous episodes of Health is Wealth, go to 1059theregion.com. Thanks for listening. Looking for a one-stop shop to eat well and live better? Nature's Emporium has it all. 100% certified organic produce and fresh meals made daily. Visit Giuseppe's Juice Bar and Bistro and shop every aisle for nutrient-dense, allergy-friendly groceries to eco-conscious options. We offer clean cosmetics and we have York Region's biggest selection of nutraceuticals. Most importantly, we have a team of health professionals in all four locations to help you on the road to good health. For more information, visit naturesemporium.com.